The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Hi everyone, welcome again to More Hall. I'm with today Jane Cave and Gemma Butler, both from CIM. And today we're going to be looking at anti-marketing. Now, negging was something that came to the fore uh, in the noughties and it became the sort of art of a pickup artist that by talking to your uh, preferred conquest, mixing positive messages with negative, they were more likely to talk back to you and therefore you apparently were more likely to score with them. I don't think it uh, works anymore because people have become aware of it but apparently it was a very uh, formidable technique for getting people to talk to you in bars and what seems to be happening is that negging seems to be a new trend in the world of marketing. This last two or three weeks, Burger King has been in the news because it has shown one of its products, um, its burgers, covered in an egregiously furry mould. And although this has not been universally welcomed by the industry, it has certainly been noticed. Do you think negging works, Gemma? I think negging or anti-marketing is a bit of a short-term tactic. It's not really a strategy. Um, the Burger King ad, um, I guess it depends on what channels you look at it at, but uh, certainly as a, as a still image on a bus stop, um, I, I would struggle to think that anybody saw that and thought, oh, fancy a Burger King today. No, but do they not, does it not work subconsciously that you think, well, hang on a second, the, the reason that Burger King did this campaign, of course, probably everybody knows by now because it was so high profile, was to show that they're removing preservatives from their foods. And actually, if you leave a Burger King for a number of days... Now it will go mouldy pretty quickly because there's nothing artificial in there to stop it going mouldy. But it's a f- it's fast food. Why would it hang around for a for a couple of days? Well, that's true. That's true. But as a way of reminding the consumer that it's they're removing preservatives, does it have an effect? I mean, it wasn't over in the messaging, was it? In terms of that, they were plastering that across the ad. That it required people to probably go in and, and look for a bit more information on it. So from that perspective, maybe it draw, did draw people in. But I think, you know, in terms of negging and anti-marketing, it really is, in my view, something that drives people, you know, it drives column inches. Um, certainly a lot of people have written about it and it gets social media up and running um, and people's voicing their views and opinions, which isn't always a good thing, as we know. Um, so, you know, my, my personal perspective is that it is, it is short term. Jane, there have been one or two others in the, in the last year or so. Hinge, which is a dating app, um, has implored its customers to delete, delete this app. The trick there in that campaign was to tell them that um, once they start using Hinge, they won't need it anymore because that will bring them love forever. Does that sort of thing work, do you think? Well, I, I think that's more of a clever campaign as opposed to negging as such. I think they're just trying to... Pre- their proposition, putting it in a different way. And I think, you know, if we go back to the Burger King one, you know, I obviously looking, you know, talking about this today, I went on Burger King's website and had a, had a good look around and it's almost like what sits behind that campaign that, you know, that needs to be followed up, doesn't it? If it's really is a strategic sort of move by them and you go onto their website and it's just all images of how t- good and tasty their food looks. So um, there's no real, there doesn't seem to be any real follow-up. So... It kind of falls flat. It really is quite one-dimensional. Are they also trying to position themselves against their competitor as well, though? That's, and, that's the issue, you know. Yeah, and McDonald's Burger, King, Burger saying, King have gone against, yeah. gone, done this, you know, to almost 
sort of in a in an anti-marketing way to almost negate what McDonald's do as well. They're almost implying what McDonald's do have preservatives and, and things in their food. So it's a differentiation strategy. That's how I would see it. Yeah, and I think, you know, traditionally brands want to create an image that makes them appeal to customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to be seen as the hero. They want to be seen as, you know, something that cons- uh, a brand that consumers want to purchase from. Some brands do this by focusing on what they do well uh, versus their competition competition and their rivals. And other brands do this by taking down their competitors and almost highlighting what they don't do well. We, we spoke earlier uh, this month about uh, Ola, which is the um, taxi app. Oh, the new Uber. Or the, the new the, the Uber, Uber disruptor. Exactly. But there's that, you know, like many of the taxi apps, they're using where Uber have gone wrong to amplify their own brand. So um, that's another tactic that brands do. And then we have anti-marketing where brands are almost talking themselves down or, you know, as we saw with the Carlsberg campaign. Well, probably. the Carlsberg one is, is, is very much anti-marketing. It, it, yeah. it, was, it was a massive high-profile campaign in which it told its consumers whom it has been telling for what seems like forever, it was probably the best lager in the world, that it probably was not the best lager in the world, Jane. Mm. And right this week, they have just launched their alternative to Probably Not, which is Probably Is. I have to say, when I saw the Carlsberg ad for the first time, the first phase of the campaign, the We Are Probably Not, to me it looked like a disaster. I, it, it seemed to me to recall the new Coke campaign, which we're changing our recipe. We are changing our recipe because we are admitting that we've got it wrong. Mm. You seem to think that that may actually play out better for them in the long term. Well, I mean, certainly the results speak for themselves. In the short term, it appeared that sales went up. However, I don't know what long-term brand perception is going to do for them. And they're certainly now moving into a different phase where they're taking what they've done and showing that they've put it right and moving into this next campaign. And they they, they themselves, Carlsberg, said it's not about trying to do a flippant marketing campaign, but acknowledging that we've lost our way a bit, which is... um which is, I don't know if consumers really buy into that, because on, on one hand you're saying, you know, our beer actually doesn't taste very good, but aren't you also saying to your customers, we've been selling you really under, under sort of crap product, basically, mm. for quite some time? Well, Shades of Gerald Ratner, do you remember him? Oh, yes. Yeah, we were we discussing that yesterday. <laughs> Just yesterday, yes, indeed. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it, is, yeah. it is those sorts of statements that come out. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of... Uh, Carlsberg, they went on to say that they, there's, there's three key measures for the success of a campaign. There's consumer perception. For them, sales in pubs and bars and sales in supermarkets. And, you know, they said they had some more work to do on sales in supermarkets. But as we said this week, they've launched their alternative campaign or their, their phase two to that, mm. where, they, they you know, they've looked at the, the social media reaction to the original one and they started calling them mean tweets. Now they're calling them keen tweets. And... Yeah, they, they seem to have done a bit of a full circle. So I, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, probably not, was probably not the best campaign <laughs> to do, you know? It, probably, um, it certainly probably seemed not to be. And Although their the new one is, is focusing on, Jane, on the positives, isn't it? It's telling well, that. Well, it's, it's a clever campaign idea. And I, it's like with any of these, is it a long-term strategy or is it just something that's just a good communications messaging at that time and trying to cut through knowing that Gen Z and all the younger you know are not as uh, susceptible to advertising perhaps as they have been in the past people are just trying to find another new way of just cutting through the noise. It strikes me as there are, there are two separate um, uh, 
uh, approaches. One is the one is the completely we're changing our recipe, which is the probably not yeah. mm. very negative. Um, and then there's ones that are, are mixing a positive and a negative. Yeah. So Burger King is trying, it probably may have failed to do so, but it was trying to mix a positive with a negative. It was saying, this is what it looks like in a few days' time, yeah. Yeah. but the positive is it's no preservatives. Yeah. It's not, not a new approach. Scotland, Visit Scotland, which is the tourist agency yeah. for, for Scotland, did a pretty uh, high-profile TV campaign in which it focused on a couple of doe-eyed individuals, a doe-eyed couple, if you like, um, in its sumptuous hotels with rain pouring down outside, um, drawing attention to the pretty tricky climate up there and telling uh, viewers that Scotland, you won't go out much with the um, immediate uh, uh, inference that they would enjoy a pretty good sex life while they were in Scotland. That is, again, mixing a positive with a negative and can be a powerful tool, I think. Well, that comes to honesty and authenticity, I think. Yeah. I think it's a different type of campaign. Um, or familiar with the pratfall effect, the, no. the, the bit of behavioural economics that sort of says that people actually warm to people who are not quite perfect and are a bit more honest. There was a study done where an actor was um, asked to complete a quiz, he was filmed, and he was pre-briefed pre, um, to get 92% right. First run through, he does it absolutely perfectly, completely slickly. Second time, as he's doing it, he accidentally pours a cup of coffee over himself. Right. When they went out to the viewers to analyse, actually the more likeable, uh, the, the people voted for the more likeable, which is the one where he poured the coffee over himself. And it's called the pratfall effect, which is, you know, as they say, a way of making mm. you more human, making you more honest, making you a little bit more accessible. Um, so it, I think it's trying to turn that into some advertising messaging strategy to sort of say I mean, we might not be perfect. Yeah, and we it know authentic, yeah. authenticity. Yes. <laughs> authenticity, isn't it? It's yeah. about authenticity. Yeah. It's yeah. about transparency, and it's about trust. And we know mm. we are twenty twenty. Edelman's um, trust barometer for twenty twenty shows that we are at an all time low in terms of trust across the world. Um, and actually, seventy six percent of the population worry about fake news being used as a weapon and social media is the least trusted media source out there so you know we are in times where society I think is quite desensitized to a lot of things because you know there's all of the information out there but also I think with regards to things like the Burger King ad um, I don't know it, it yes it, it got people talking about it but actually when consumers saw that they want to know a bit more, as we all do when we see something, what's behind it, don't we? So maybe you do draw people in, but then have something behind that message that explains it a bit more, you know? Um, and I think in terms of if you look at what McDonald's have done on the flip side, you know, they've taken people on a very strong emotionally-led journey over a number of years. I mean, just thinking about this podcast... If you go in and Google McDonald's campaigns, they've gone from, you know, segmenting their their customers by the time of the day they visit. So you've got, you know, the van drivers that come in at six, seven in the morning for breakfast. Uh, they've also done a big campaign on disposing litter responsibly, I believe, in Germany. Uh, they then bring food in as, you know, uh, they've got their limited edition products. They, they've done, you know, years and years of long-term strategic campaigning to try, you know, and turn around perceptions of fast food and they've they've been I think in the last couple of years done a lot of focus on where their food comes from and where it's sourced so that that that's been built up over time and if you go onto their right. website it sits behind that as well and mm. you can almost see you can recognize McDonald's ads so Burger King coming in mm. with an image of a moldy burger it could be clever or you could argue it was it was probably just a bit lazy 
bit lazy in, in a contrast to the Scottish ad, which is presenting a perceived weakness as a strength yeah. in the same way that we're talking about pratfall and perfection not being yeah. not being attractive. Sometimes when we're interviewing candidates for a job, if they if they'll admit to a weakness and they will, and they will give a, they will give an unvarnished exposition of how they how they were carry that weakness that can sometimes endear endear them to us as a candidate because as you say we make them feel more human people know that scotland's rainy so why not why not why not grab that present it as a, a strength and say that you'll be staying in a like a nice hotel yeah i mean the welsh tourist board i think i don't know when years ago sent out rain max Right. <laughs> Back in the days of direct mail, sent rain max to everybody saying, come to Wales, it's a great place to come to, but you'll need a max, it rains every day, all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of uh, campaign strategy. It's not new, it's not new, it's just sort of trying to transform the way people look at your brand, or look at your product, um, in the same way perhaps that the Scots and the Welsh have done it with their campaigns. Um, almost sort of goes back to the thinking. Almost goes back to the nineteen sixties with the very famous, which, which students of marketing will like, the very famous V-Dub Lemon ad, yes. in which it was they were marketing the V-Dub Beetle, which was a highly risky manoeuvre in the United States at that time because it had one character feature, which was unlike any other American car, in that it was small. 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 Yes, it was small, <laughs> and in those days. Um, Pretty much all of the American car makers were marketing their product as being bigger, better, yes. and bolder than their competitors. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you think? Do you think that ethos really has been carried forward through the decades, and people have picked back up in it from time to time, Jane? Mm. Well, I think the idea of just using sort of self-effacing and a bit of humour always works well and plays well with your audience. So, yeah. And as you say, I think you know, in terms of this, this, the Think Small campaign, you know, it it went against the trends of the market, didn't it? I, d I don't see how it was an anti-marketing campaign. It wasn't. I mean, I guess one of the things is like the the Scottish one. You're not saying what the product isn't, are you? It's um, no. It, it they're saying the car is small, and it almost is is bucking the trend. It's trying to get people to actually buy a small car when everyone else is owns or is driving big cars. So I think you know. It's different, and it's and it stood out. It still shocked. It did shock the U.S. market. It was mm. it was wasn't universally welcomed. Some marketers, Madison Adam, you thought it was madness to to do that, um, but it it did work in that case. It got the eyeballs, and it actually got the product moving. Um, shock tactics can be effective, can't they? Yeah, the charity market has used shock tactics for a long time. Um, I did a lot of charity marketing earlier in my career and we sent out some quite horrific visual imagery because we did a lot of work for various pressure groups and um, uh, medical health charities. Right. And at the time it was seen as a way to cut through and to get people to sit up and take notice. However, um, further testing tended to show that more positive messaging had a better uptake and better lifetime value and people bought into that in a more positive way. So uh, it's horses for courses. I mean, going back to you know, the, the, the fat cigarettes, right. that was a very effective campaign in the short term. I what, mean, what is this campaign? Uh, it was a quite well-known campaign that ran a few years ago where yeah. you saw the cigarette with the fat dropping out of it. Right. I don't know if you remember it. It was quite visually horrific, uh, very in your face. Um, and I think... And the implication of that was... The it implication is, is, yes, it was trying to visually show what you're putting into your body. Right. As opposed to the smoking kills messaging, which is just wallpaper for people who smoke. You've got yeah. to really try and get them to think about it in a different way, but also influence their friends and family mm. to put the pressure on, because peer pressure is obviously quite vital with giving up smoking. 
It was very successful. I believe it was something along 14,000 people gave up smoking as a direct result. Right. But the trouble with these campaigns is they're never tested against more positive messaging. So you don't actually know, and it comes back to what we were talking about with some of the anti-marketing, what might the results have been if they went out with a different campaign? And, and that can be something of a... A consideration and to make it to making you know cigarettes is an interesting one isn't it because uh they've, they've gone through that you know there's some shocking campaigns that have gone out there that uh the packets themselves went through a, a number of iterations where there were health warnings on them that says this will kill you uh then they moved to images didn't they some really quite brutal images of what smoking does mm. um and now cigarettes sit behind in blank packages behind a cupboard door um uh, in in a store, so it's interesting the iterations of what smoking has gone through. But then we saw the obesity, um, the obesity cancer research campaign, which was a very strong campaign. It was very controversial. This this was this was this was a campaign of the year last year. Yes. Um, but it was very very controversial because what it did for members of the audience who haven't seen it, and I suspect most people have seen it, but for those that haven't, um, it presented obesity as a cigarette packet, um, as, as, as great a danger to contracting cancer um, as being a smoker, um, which is medically true, that it, it, it is true, um, but it was seen as fat-shaming fat by some groups who said that you know, the Cancer Research Campaign and Respectable Charity shouldn't be um, shaming people into eating less. Jane, as some, a stalwart of the charity sector, what was your view on the campaign? Um, well, I think it was very honest. Right. actually and I think it did the job I think it got people talking about it people taking notice it was obviously based on very robust research so they could defend their position so I take my hat off to them actually and I would say you, Brave have, to campaign. Look, you have to look at the source of where that campaign campaign came from you know cancer research obviously as you say know what they're talking about so it's not it's not a flippant campaign one-dimensional tactic to try and make people stop smoking it's there to inform and educate really which is what these campaigns are supposed to do the the, the blindness to cap to negative campaigning is an interesting one isn't it we talked about i was interested when you were talking earlier about smoking cigarettes that it just becomes people just stopped reading this mm. smoking kills people probably stop seeing the horrible pictures that are now on cigarette yep. packets yes. and instead the the shock campaigns are still there but they keep taking new approaches yeah. one was it's going to ruin your sex life one was it's going to ruin your uh, 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 sociability because people think you smell disgusting things yeah. like that try new ways of getting people to realize the consequence of but their action I think it's kind of it's society today isn't it we are desensitized to so much stuff because we are we are shown everything and anything these days uh, there is there is you know there is nothing that isn't is isn't available, visible, you know, if you look for it, you can find it. And I think that's the symptom of the society we live in with social media platforms, with the fact that you can, you know, go online and, and look for whatever you really want to look for. And I think that's that makes it probably a lot harder now, which is why things like the Burger King imagery is coming out, because how do you cut through the noise? Because we know people do not like ads. Ads are seen as getting in the way of what you want to do, whether you're you're playing a game on your phone or you're trying to watch, you know, TV. Um, they get in the way and they're everywhere and there are so many ads that people are completely and utterly, it's like wallpaper. They, they just don't see them anymore. So how do you capture someone's attention when they are being bombarded day in, day out? 
Is a risk, are we at risk of it becoming a bit of an arms race, do you think, Jane? That, that well, we just have to become ever more shocking. Well, yes, you know? and I think there is a danger because I think too shocking people turn away and switch mm. off. So I think there is a very, very slim balance between something that makes people sit up and take notice and something that is actually so appalling that they just will not engage. Yeah. Uh, look at Bernardo's. They are, right. aren't they yes. probably the most well-known for continuously promoting shocking visual imagery. Do you remember? They've got some very hard-hitting oh, adverts yeah, the on one with TV the babies well. where they had the hypodermic needle coming out and the cockroach climbing out I of the I have to admit, I can't mouth. watch them. I have to, I turn well, the channel. Well, that, that's, that's what exactly. I mean. People turn mm. away, you know, And I think, I, I think I'm right in saying it was the most complained about ad of all time, that particular mm. one. Uh, what does that do for the charity? Uh, if it's not having an impact on behaviour and getting people to donate or to, to do what their desired objective is, it can get into that danger of it just being something that just was, was misguided. Do you think positivity um, has got more longevity, Gemma, than negativity? Um, I, don't think it's as, I don't think it's as clear-cut as positive message versus negative messaging. I think if we take, if we take an organisation like Patagonia, for yeah. example, uh, they have some. They had a very strong campaign with "Don't buy this jacket," but that's that's a complete strategy. You you know them as an organisation, and if you go in and, and look at their campaigns and and why that messaging and why they chose to go out of that campaign, you know they have their worn wear better than new campaign. They have the footprint chronicles where they show their supply chain and where all of their their products are sourced and and come from all the way down. You know, that, that's, that's what they stand for. That's, that's who they are. That is, you know, I think they themselves said that you can't reverse into purpose. Mm. Um, and I think in those, you know, they've got a very positive message that sits behind. But even, you know, with it, the environment and climate change and all of these things happening now, there has been a huge amount of positive and negative messaging going out there, hasn't there? You know, you have uh, all the plastic campaigns that show you know the real reality of what we're doing to the planet but at the end of the day it's it's how do you get everybody to change their behaviors how do you get society as a whole to start all going in in the same direction so negative campaign or negative advertising is good can work can shock in the right way but it has to be part of something bigger and when we do it just as a sort of flash in the pan is a bit of a dangerous strategy of marketers jane is that I, I absolutely agree i think it has to go back to authenticity is is it saying something about who you are and what you're trying to achieve oatly uh, they have their sort of negging campaign or anti-marketing uh, it's like milk but made for humans it, being mm. a bit self-effacing but it's very relevant. It's actually about the product. It's positioning it in a way that make people quickly understand what they're trying to do and, and what you're going to get. So I, I, it just comes back to, yes, if it's just a clever um, message where it's got no backup, no follow through, then it's just a campaign. And I think, yeah, if it doesn't resonate with people, we're looking no. at uh, Brandwatch's Consumer Trends uh, Global Report for 2020. And, you know, if you talk about buying decisions and what affects people's buying decisions, number one is experience from friends and colleagues. So I guess in Burger King's uh, example, if you've got a load of people talking about how they wouldn't buy that burger, how it's disgusting, how it's visually unimpactful, then... That's the message that's resonating more by the word of mouth that goes around about it. The number two is a pre-purchase experience and number three is um, is online reviews. And actually it's it's been said, and Jane and I were talking about this yesterday, that people trust a 
star review over a five star review. Right. Mm. And they only need to see four reviews to make a decision. Right. So you're not talking about mass. No. You're talking about just a very few... Few believable reviews. And I find it myself. If I start reading something, say, on Amazon, that, you know, you read the first two and the third one says, you know, the first two can be five star, mm. this is amazing. If somebody has any doubt in the third one, I, I go and look for something else. It's a, it's a weird... It is definitely behavioural psychology at play there. It is, and this authenticity thing is something marketers has got to get to grips with. Mm. I read somewhere that a beautifully grammatically correct, well-spelt review is much less likely to get people to believe it Absolutely. Yeah. than one that's badly written. It comes out to trust, isn't it, and yeah. believability. Yeah. 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 So the rest of the week, either of you going to be taking a trip to Burger King for a burger? Not really somewhere I, I go... Anyway, but yeah, I think I can't. As I said at the beginning, I really cannot imagine anyone saw that at a bus stop and thought, "Oh, fancy a burger." Cole's burger going to be on the menu in your house, Jane? Uh, <laughs> well, I'd like to give it a try. Okay. And see what the improved flavour is really like. And given um, our discussion today, will either of you be visiting? Scotland? I was going to ask you that just now. <laughs> ben, will you be going to Scotland anytime soon? I'm, I'm, I'm considering it. I'm <laughs> we'll Jane, send you a Mac. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I won't need it because I won't be going out much. Gemma and Jane, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. CIM Podcast.